Are you ready, kids? Aye, aye, Captain! Come to bring you a special report. My name is Jeff. I am Iron Man. Oh, hi, Mark. Wow. Mr. Feeney? Mr. Feeney! I swallow your soul! I swallow your soul! I swallow your soul! <laughs> swallow this. Hello there. Loud is not allowed. Now you listen to me, mister. I work for a living. And I mean real work, not writing down gobbledygook. Say, would you like a chocolate-covered pretzel? Come on, flip the pickle, Morty. You're not gonna regret it. The payoff is huge. That's what she said. Welcome to my world, bitch. And now, Comic Culture Radio, with your host, Kevin Caldwell. Welcome to Comic Culture Radio, your weekly dose of nerdy goodness. We have three great interviews for you this week. Let's go ahead and get started with RJ Mint. So, welcome back to Comic Culture. I'm your host, Kevin. Today, we're expected to be joined by fellow nerd, activist, and actor RJ Mitty. RJ is best known for his role as Walter White Jr., aka Flynn, on AMC's mega smash hit Breaking Bad. Born with cerebral palsy, in addition to acting, RJ is also at the forefront of Hollywood inclusion for actors with disabilities. Thanks so much for being here with us, man. Oh, pleasure's all mine. <clears throat> so, before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that Netta said you were a mega pop culture nerd, and when it comes to movies, comics, games, etc. So, there's going to be a test at the end of this interview, uh, just to see how true that actually is. Oh, man. I got you. All right, I'm I'm down. I think I I mean I don't know na- naming names are not my strong suit, but I definitely watch. I watch a lot of junk or not. <laughs> All right, well uh, we'll see how you do. But until then, let's start off with your background. Tell me about a bit uh, a bit about the path that led to you pursuing acting. Um. Yeah. I. Uh, I started when I was like 12, 15. My sister actually is the one that got casted out of a water park that brought us to LA. Uh, and, and that's kind of what started me. If I didn't know anyone in LA, didn't have any friends. I was homeschooled. Um, 13 didn't have a job either. So I started looking for ways to meet kids and make money and acting, uh, acting came into play and I started Working as an extra on shows, uh, Hannah Montana, Everybody Hates Chris, Weed, Seventh Heaven, Jovet Taylor, um, as an extra. And then was auditioning the whole time, and luckily, uh, six months later, I auditioned for this show that, this little nobody show called Breaking Bad. And, uh, apparently, it wasn't a little nobody thing, and it turned out, Changing my life and really, um, really being an amazing, an amazing show and, and groundbreaking show in, in my life. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, you had a couple of those uh, roles as an extra. <coughs> Excuse me. 
but when he landed the job on Breaking Bad as the son of main character Walt, a.k.a. Heisenberg, uh, was a real big break. When he went out for that role, did Walt Jr. having cerebral palsy, was that already built into the show, or was that built in after you got the part? No, that was that was all. Here, sorry, one moment. Excuse me. Um, no, that that was all. That was all part of the character of Walt Jr. So my my character Walt Jr. is actually based on a real person. Uh, a friend of Vince's, Vince had in college, who who sadly uh, passed away. But it was in memory of him and um and kind of his relationship with Vince and um it, it was special, you know, my character breakdown red, dark hair, big eyebrows and mild cerebral palsy and I was like, That's me Yeah. <clears throat> so from what I understand and please correct me if I'm wrong, but by the time the show started, you personally didn't need to use stability crutches to walk the wall junior did. Was it interesting having to have that learning curve of all of a sudden having to jump back into using them? Well, I actually, uh, I never used the forearm crutches in real life. Okay. Uh, I had AFOs and SMAFOs and leg immobilizers. And then I was also using, I was also in physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. Um, so... Um, luckily for me, I, I never, I never really had to use any anything um, to walk other than my my brace. And uh, and I mean, doesn't mean I haven't used crutches before. I broke bones. I both my legs used to be in cast six months out of the year for seven for from three to thirteen. Um. So when I wasn't in cast, I was in braces. But um, it was interesting using them and, and really, for me, relying on them for the character and then putting on my weight. And over time, I messed it up your back, but, uh, but it was a great eye-opener to see what I had overcome to what I could have been like to, to, to what really people thought I was like. Exactly. And so, um, Breaking Bad today is considered, like, one of the greatest shows in history, but when it first started, as you mentioned, you had no idea what it was going to actually be. Did any of you have the slightest inclination of just how big this universe will turn into? No. You can't, you can't realize how big something's going to be. Um, we knew we had something special. We knew that it was one of a kind. But we didn't know that it would have this type of audience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just the fact, when I first started it, uh, Malcolm in the Middle had just ended maybe like, what, a year or two beforehand. So I was like, oh, wait, the dad from Malcolm in the Middle is not peddling meth? Uh, <laughs> kind of interesting, but it definitely it blew up, and I'm really stoked that it did. Um Walt Jr. has a pretty interesting arc throughout the whole series with his transition in and out of being Flynn, starting from not wanting to be associated with his father, all while not knowing that his father is this major drug kingpin. He just thinks that the lung cancer is the only thing that's going on. Do you think, had he have known earlier that his dad was uh, Heisenberg, that it would have skewed his view of Walt one way or the other? 
Um, I mean, I, I think it's situational. I think the situation that, that they were faced in was the deciding factor and, and kind of what they were forced to do. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really changed their direction. And I think that was the thing with, with Vince's writing is, is it's very real life um, up in the air. You know, yeah. it, it, you don't really know. You don't really know how these characters are going to react, but you know that they're going to react. They're going to to be involved, and in that they're going to to uh, to make decisions that aren't in their best interest, and are sometimes they may be, but they don't know to the end. And that's why I think people love Breaking Bad so much. Is that these characters? are very much like us, is that they're going through life, they're making these these waves, and they're trying to catch one, and they're just hoping that it will just take them off, but they don't know where. Mm-hmm. And so, do you think that Walt Jr. would have thought his dad was a badass in that certain situation if he would have found out earlier than he did, given that circumstance, that how he found out? I think so. I think I think he still thinks his dad is a badass. I think it's it's he doesn't like what his father has done. He doesn't like who his father has become. But I mean I think he I think he is a badass. I mean Walt or Heisenberg, they're pretty awesome. And I think until the point where it started affecting his mom and domestic violence and all that ensued I think that's when it kind of was a straw that broke Camel's back for Walt Jr. Exactly. Uh, so you and Walt were roughly the same age when the show started, you, like right around 16. But by the end of the show, you were in your early 20s. But Walt was just only like a year older. Was it weird growing up having to play a character who didn't really age until the time jumps happened? Um... Yes and no. I think it's more weird for me as an adult than then because people still expect me to be Walt Jr. Yeah. So you just like I think, I'm not Walt Jr. I think I'm that's twenty five, you guys. It's like, hey guys, I'm 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 old now. Yes. I'm not thirteen. I'm not I'm 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 about thirty. <laughs> About th- that's t- don't ever say that again. I don't want to think about because you and I are right about the same age. So if you're almost thirty, that means I'm almost thirty, and I don't want to think about that. Well, how old are you? I'm twenty six. All right, yeah, I'm I'm a year older. So yeah, yeah, we're almost thirty, homie. Okay, all right. Time, get that man. All right, moving on. <laughs> So you brought up uh, domestic violence, and so one of the most pivotal and powerful scenes in the entire series is at the end of Ozymandias, where Junior finally learns the truth, and a fight between Walt Sr. and Skylar breaks out. At one point, a knife is brandished, and I was positive that Junior was going to end up with collateral damage. Was that a tough sequence to film? Uh, And throughout the show, did you ever think that you wouldn't make it out of this alive? Um... Yes and no. I think there was a 50-50 shot for all the characters to be killed. 
Um, I, uh, I think Mally's gonna, I don't know, man. I, I could, I could have thought that someone, something bad was gonna happen to Junior, or something bad was gonna happen to Skyler. And, uh, and it did in its own special way. But, yeah. uh, but man, you never know. Have you seen El Camino? I have. I have. I'm actually going to bring that up a little bit later, right? Yeah, it's great. No. <laughs> um, as long I can digest something happening to Walt or Skyler or anybody, but if something would have happened to Holly, I'd have been like, all right, that's a little too far. Like, come on. Well, I mean, there's a fine line of too far, but at the same time, there's a fine line of that's what happens in reality. Yeah. And so, uh, that was my favorite thing. In the finale, we only get to see a small glance of Junior, or maybe he was Flynn again by that point, getting off the bus. His storyline had mostly wrapped up at that point, but we bummed we didn't get a chance to see his reaction to learning about uh, his dad's death in El Camino. Um, I mean, I would like to see something. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think it definitely left a big hole in the White family's heart for what had happened and what is happening to them. Um, and a stigma that, that definitely will carry. But, uh, yeah. But who knows? So, uh, touching back on the finale briefly, there's a scene where Walt shows up at Elliot and Gretchen's house with, uh, a bunch of his meth money and kind of strong arms and strong arms them into giving Junior what's left of it. We see Junior outright reject the money from them, uh, an episode earlier, but do you think he rejected it after it came from the Schwartzes? Uh, I think who says the Schwartz? Schwartz's gave him the money to begin with. You can't I mean, do that. That's not fair. No, that's a, that's a good point. We never we don't actually know what ends up happening. You don't know. You don't know. They they might they might just be like, you know what? He's dead. We're keeping it. Not that they need yeah, more they, money. That's like pocket change for them. But anyway. <laughs> Well, uh, but I mean, at the end of the day, greed is greed's what gets you in the end. That's what got Walt. Exactly. Um, in your mind, does Junior ever come to peace with his father's death and learn to forgive him and his role in Hank's death, or was that the point of no return? I, I think as of right now, what happened with Walt, Walt Junior and Hank and Walt, um. I don't think that that that's unforgivable. That's unforgivable. Um, you know, he lost. I think that was a that was a point in no return for Walt. That was a point in no return for Junior. That was no report, point in no return for the whole family, because that's when the family was betrayed um, officially. Yes, Dean's character was trying to bring down Walt, but at the same time, he was trying to do what was right for for not just him and his family, but the community. Mm-hmm. And, and as Walt 
took that away from him and took that away from the community, he he was no longer part of the family. Mm-hmm. And that's when he chose Heisenberg. Really just took over that Heisenberg persona. Correct. So we'll touch on Breaking Bad near the end before that quiz I told you about that I'm not going to let you forget about. Uh, but let's touch base on Hollywood and the inclusion of actors with disabilities. <clears throat> Excuse me. Prepping for this interview, I rewatched the panel you did with Larry King a couple months ago about this. And I heard something that kind of shocked me. Uh, it was something like 95% of the portrayals of a character with a disability on screen is done by someone without a disability. You made mention of the fact that we're making progress, but there's still a long way to go. Uh, what can we be doing better to help bring awareness to this uh, cause? I think the biggest thing you can do is if you know someone with a disability or have a disability, get out and live a life and be seen. So many people don't see disability or engage with disability or engage with people with disabilities that it, it doesn't... It's not, it, it, it's a gimmick. It's something that they see on TV but not in real life. And we need people to see real people in real life that, that have lives, that are um, maybe not your norm, have your normality or have your normal body. But but to them, it is their own normal. So to me, I am normal. What I have is no different than what anyone else has. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's a big a big thing is is get out. If you have a disability, live your life. Don't let um don't let whatever it is that you feel like is ostracizing you or limiting you hinder who you're meant to be. That's a great point. I, I always think of it like kinda like this. Uh people with a southern accent don't think they have a southern accent. They just speak normally to them. So just get out there and live life, like you said. Yep. So, one of the first examples... Oh, go ahead. No, I just want to say, so many people forget that that to what you have and to what someone else has, we each have our own normality. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. What were you saying? Oh, I was going to say, one of the first examples I can remember seeing of a major inclusion of actors with disabilities was that movie with John Knoxville, The Ringer, where he tries to rig the Special Olympics. You know that yeah. movie? So, well, that's a terrible yeah, like idea. And I don't condone anyone ever attempting to rig the Special Olympics. Do you think the movie accurately portrayed uh, those with disabilities? They were treated like everyday people. Just They were normal, as you were saying. I, you know, you have some people that... that don't like it yet, some people that do like it. I personally, I thought The Ringer was funny. Was, was it insensitive? Was it something that exploited? Yeah. But that was the point. Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, it was important to see people, and especially um, people with disabilities, in a different light, in a comedic light, in a, in a way that Johnny Knoxville, he has such a name, he has such an entity, and people love him, and people love to see what he does and, and how he does it. And I think that is, in a weird way, moving forward with accessibility 
and perception and it's it's important it's important to get people working and to get them out of the house and I mean I don't recommend staging the the Special Olympics but I think it was done very well especially at the time because that that movie's like almost ten years old now. Is it? I think it. Hold on, I'm gonna check. I believe you, but uh... yo, homie, <laughs> homie, you're about to hit 2020. Dude, it's 14 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Especially at that time, there was nothing on the market. There was nothing in the media about that, and it it was unique. And yeah. It, it was unique. It was funny. But I just, once again, don't recommend or condone rigging the Special Olympics, as RJ also does not condone. But, so, but I mean, if you're going to do it, might as well do it big. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I want to touch base on one more thing, and then it's quiz time. Uh, tell me about the work you've done with United Cerebral Palsy. Uh, I've I've done quite a few gala fundraisers. I've visited quite a few hospitals. Um, raised raised some money and a lot of just spreading the word about what they do and the impact that they have in the communities that they touch. Um, pretty much any time they need me uh, for an event or for fundraising or whatever it may be, uh, visiting schools and all that, I'm I'm available. That's so, great. I, where, where can we find out about the organization and others like that who are helping to lead the fight for inclusivity? You know, I online. I think everyone has a smartphone now. Um, look up organizations that directly affect you and how how you they you know, maybe they not physically directly affect you, but but mentally or emotionally figure out what those organizations are and get involved, spread the word and um and and be there. Volunteer. Work work with these organizations because they need people. Uh like you. So I lied, it's not actually a quiz, but before we go, I did want to talk to you about some of your nerdy stuff. I just wanted to psych you out at the beginning. No quizzes, you're totally off the hook. But uh, what are your go-to movies or video games when you have downtime? Uh, right now, I've been switching between Apex and Fortnite. Um, <laughs> shut up. That's like something else. Um, but uh, Apex and Fortnite, and then um, you know, I lots of um, lots of Netflix, man. There's anything, everything on Netflix. Um. You got that Disney Plus life? Yeah. I haven't even scratched the surface on it. There's so much. Like, I've been putting off watching other things that I promised myself months ago I would watch because of Disney Plus. It's it's going to take over the life. Dude, it's amazing. I actually just got into Apex like two or three weeks ago. It's super fun. Like I always bagged on people who played it, but now I'm like I'm addicted to it now. Like, that's the thing is like a lot of people are like oh Apex, but like if you ever played Titanfall and you like Call of Duty and you like Battle Royale, 
it has all that, and the graphics are dope. For and it's free. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, are you into, like, Japanese pop culture at all, like manga and anime? Yeah, I watch a lot of manga and anime. What's your favorite anime right I, I now? Mean, right now. Uh, what was I just watching? Um, I like Inuyasha. Um, I, uh, that was the most recent I was watching. Um, but, uh, but, I don't know. I like, do you ever see the piano in the forest? No, I have not. Uh, that sounds interesting, though. It, it is interesting. It, it's not an action. It's about, initially, as, as enemies are, kids in school. And, but they, they, uh, they're trying to be plus pianists. But, uh, but I like when they have music. Oh, which is Flower. Uh, that's one of my favorites. Which is Flowers Great. Um, you should check out My Hero Academia if you haven't already. I ha- I have seen My Hero Academia. I finished it. Have you seen uh, Seven Deadly Sins? Yeah, I've I finished that. All right, you are you are turning out to be a nerd, which is totally cool. Uh, Netta did not lead me wrong. Like, <laughs> No, like it, it. By the way, almost every anime that's decent on Netflix, I have watched and finished. Okay, good. Uh, so, if you could only read one comic for the rest of your life, what what would what, what would it be? And to elaborate on that, like you can read any Batman comic from like uh, today through like the nineteen thirties, or any Spider Man comic. Just a single character. Uh, does that make sense? So you don't have to. You don't only have to choose uh-huh. one issue. It's like the whole spread, but you only have one character. Oh, genre, one character. Uh, dude, Batman, of course. Fair so, enough. Like, uh, Batman, Spider-Man, have, one of the two. Like, one of the two. No, I... Spider-Man, I'm alright with Spider-Man. Spider-Man, he, he... I could take him or leave him. Like, he... he like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a... I like Spider-Man's villains. So, like... Doc Doc, Venom, um, Scorpion, like, the, like, Spider-Man has some of the best villains, but Batman has the best themes. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right on that. So, when can we expect RJ to make his, uh, yeah, when can we expect RJ to make his grand entrance into the MCU? Dude, I, I would love to. I don't know, man. I gotta, I gotta figure out how, who, who I gotta, who I gotta grease their palms to get on that bandwagon. Well, uh, just putting this out there, if someone listening works for Disney or knows anybody, put RJ in a movie or else I'm quitting my podcast. Uh, that's a fair threat <laughs> and I'm gonna make it. <laughs> Cause I have all the power You heard, in the you world. heard. <laughs> hey, actually, you know what I would like to do? And it's it's it just came out. Is I like to be the new Joker's Batman. That'd be an interesting one. That'd be cool, right? He wouldn't be like your traditional Batman. No, not at all. It could be like a a Batman Beyond Bruce Wayne Batman in that sense. Well, if you if you remember, and like they, they there's a lot of articles about it, but. 
but the Joker riots initially are what killed Bruce Wayne's parents. Yeah. So, so definitely those have riots some room in there. Just started. All right, DC, make RJ the Batman to Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Uh, and we'll, oh, we'll, be, we'll all be happy. Everybody so, will be happy. Netta says, and I quote, you play video games like a crazy person. Be honest. When was the last time you rage quit and what game was it? Dude, I rage quit last night and it was Fortnite. <laughs> I bet it was Fortnite. I've seen a lot of people rage quit uh, on that game. But uh, what was the situation and what happened? Uh, situation was uh, duos. I was in the house. My partner was out of the house on the other side of, I think, Pleasant. And uh, I just got mobbed on so hard. And I just I just rage quit and realized that my partner was still alive. <laughs> and they came in. <laughs> they came in, killed the other two people. And they're like, where's your card? Where's your respawn card? I'm like... I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Come on. No. That's funny, though, that you raised it not realizing your partner was still alive. I didn't even think I had a partner in the midst of it. Well, uh, we'll have to throw it out on Apex sometime, and we'll see if one of us can make the other rage quit. For sure, man. I'll send you, I'll send you my information. I'll be on later. Awesome, yeah, that would be super. What do you play on? Uh, I play on PlayStation. Okay, good. If you were an Xbox person, I would have I would have hung up on you right now. I am an Xbox person too, though. I play. Oh, both. okay, okay, but you're still a PlayStation person, so that's that's still okay. Yeah. All right. Well, so, I'm actually about uh, to invest in the PC, so. Oof! I, I haven't I haven't made that financial commitment yet. One I would like to one day. But uh it's a it's well, a burden. If you buy if you buy all the parts individually, it's a lot cheaper sometimes. Oh, I didn't think about it like that. Maybe I'll look into it a little bit more. because I, I would love to. Just haven't like I said, wanted to pull the trigger. But if I can get it cheaper individually and build it myself, definitely might go that route. Yeah. I right. I mean I've been looking in not oh, bad. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to wrap up with a couple yeah. fun ones. So, okay. uh, what is Walt Jr.'s favorite breakfast? Oh, uh, bacon or raisin bran crunch? Raisin bran crunch. Did he ever get his raisin bran crunch? I can't remember. It is, yeah, raisin bran crunch or bacon. Or eggs and bacon. Breakfast food in general. That's that, that breakfast. Was favorite. Breakfast, for breakfast, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Damn straight. So, El Pollo Loco or Los Pollos Hermanos? Ooh, Los Pollos Hermanos. Okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, if you weren't an actor, what do you think you'd be doing in life? Um... I don't know. Probably, I always I always wanted to do something in public service, so firefighter, something on that realm. Um, 
I mean, I always do foundation work. I mean, I think that's that's one of my gifts and my curses. Um, so anything in the nonprofit and whatever I could do to be a public servant. That's a great one. Final question, probably the hardest one on the whole interview. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Okay, does pineapple belong on pizza? Dude, everything belongs on pizza. <laughs> okay. I mean, agree to disagree, but uh, that's fair. I, I'll let you have it. I mean, you, won't, you won't hear me ordering a pizza with pineapple, but... It doesn't mean I won't eat it. Okay, so you won't you wouldn't order it personally, but if it's there and it's it's free pizza, so of course you're just gonna eat it. Oh yeah, of course. Alright man, thanks so much. This was a ton of fun. Uh love rapping with you. Any final words of wisdom for the audience? Yeah, just just thank everyone for their support. Um and and just Continue, continue checking out. Get ready for, get ready for the next sequel of Breaking Bad, maybe. What? Are we getting a, confirm, a confirmation on that? Okay, I'm gonna have to see that. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Thanks so much to RJ Mitty for that great interview. And up next, straight from Stranger Things, Gabriella Pizzolo. Welcome back to Comic Culture. I'm your host Kevin. Today we are supposed to be joined by Gabriella Pizzolo. Gabby is an actress who can be seen across both stage and screen. She's best known for her standout role as Susie on Season 3 of Stranger Things. Gabby also currently voices Cricket on Nickelodeon's series Butterbeans Cafe, which is just about to wrap up its first season. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Gabby. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Kevin. So, before we jump into things, tell me a little bit about your background and what led to you discovering acting. Hmm. Uh, I think it was definitely community theater that got me interested in acting, for sure. Uh, my elementary school music teacher encouraged me to, you know, try community theater, and so I did it. And I found a wonderful community of people. And so I did a lot of local productions from the time I was seven to when I was about ten. Okay. And so you had your uh, first real start was uh, portraying Matilda for a period had you seen the original movie starring Mara Wilson or read Roald Dahl's original book before auditioning? Yes, and yes, I had actually seen and read both, and I loved them. I love Roald Dahl. Oh, same. A great member of Roald's books are cherished by so many people. Willy Wonka, James and the Giant Peach, the BFG, obviously Matilda, just to name a few. What is it about his writings mm-hmm. that you think has resonated with so many people after all this time? Um, I think it's relatable for Mexico. Uh, it's dark, but it's true. Um, this is just my perspective, and I'm sure it's different for other people, but a lot of his books had really mean adult characters who were, you know, pitted against kid characters, and they were like the heroines. And I feel the reason that they resonate with so many people is because, you know, everyone knows what it feels like to be a kid and have no control, uh, but in his books, uh, usually the kids can outsmart the adults and they gain control. It's fun to watch that happen. Yeah, absolutely. But speak for yourself. I came out of the womb at like 60 years old. 
But uh, no, I'm kidding. I totally get what you mean. <laughs> uh, so, do you have any particular play that you'd like to be in at some point? So many. Uh, one of my favorite shows is Avenue Q, but it just closed off Broadway. No, maybe someday. Have you ever considered writing an original or adapting something into your own production? Oh, all the time, absolutely. Um, I've been writing music and songs since I can remember, really. And I love making up stories and plots. <laughs> it's funny, actually, at my school, some friends and I wrote a musical called Stockman. It's just, it's completely a joke. Um, not ready for the real world yet. Um, but I feel like before I can really do anything in that profession, I have to learn a bit more. And I've definitely learned from some amazing, amazing people. But I still feel like I'm not quite ready. A friend of mine in high school uh, wrote a musical adaptation of Lord of the Flies. If you can get away with that, I think you can get away with uh, your musical that you guys are doing right now. <laughs> Did he cast you? Did he cast you in the play? No, I was the sound tech on it, but uh, I unfortunately, uh, I have I have the other set of, I have the behind the scenes skills, not the uh, on stage skills. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was it was pretty interesting having Lord of the Flies adapted as a musical, but it, it did pretty well. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, let's move on to Butterbean's Cafe. You portray Cricket, little sister to main character Butterbean. Cricket is pretty awesome sauce, uh, her words, with magical yes. icing bag at all. Do you have fun doing voiceover work? I know it's a completely different beast with its own required skill set. Do you think your experience on stage oh, helped yeah. you transition into that a little bit easier? Oh, yeah. Um, voice acting is one of the most fun things I think I'm acting. It's definitely at the top of my list. And I think it's easier to move from being a theater actor to a voice actor because you really have to think about, you know, what you're doing with your voice in both of those. And I think in voice acting, there's a lot of room for creativity, which makes it really fun. Mm -hmm. So season one, I believe, is just ended or is about to end, but it's already been announced that season two has already been greenlit. Uh, do you hope that Cricket will get more of a spotlight in future seasons? Um, I hope, and I think that we're going to get to know all the characters better in season two. Uh, there will definitely be a lot more baking mishaps on Cricket's part, uh, but, you know, her friends will be there to help her, and everything will work out. I think I relate to Cricket the most because she is a baker with issues, and I am a baker who has issues, so uh, definitely a relatable one for me. <laughs> But <clears throat> I guess now is a good a time as I need to talk about that little-known kind of indie sh show, Street of Things, that not a lot of people know about, but uh, oh, yeah, it's kind of a deal. You joined the world the last season. You portrayed Susie, a.k.a. Susie Poo, girlfriend to Dusty yes. Henderson, a.k.a. Dusty Bun. <clears throat> Susie is mentioned <laughs> throughout most of the season, but we don't actually get to see her in the flesh until the finale of season three where she plays a crucial part yeah. in helping save the day. When you first auditioned, did you know that it was Stranger Things, or did that come later? It's funny you ask that, because I actually didn't know for sure that it was for Stranger Things. I got a self-tape request via email, and 
there were sides attached, and it was the scene where they sing Neverending Story. Uh, but it didn't say Stranger Things, and it didn't say Dustin and Susie. Um, but being a fan of the show already and knowing the Duffers work, you know, it sounded like something that could have been them looking back on it now. Mm-hmm. Definitely kind of like, now that you know that it was Stranger Things, you saw the, the clues back then that, yeah, it probably was. Yeah. Yeah. So, I could tell now. Mm-hmm. We don't actually get to see it. Susie, outside of a side-by-side camera shot, concurrent with a shot of Dustin and Erica. I've been curious, uh, did you get a chance mm-hmm. to film that on set, or was your uh, part done separately? Yeah, we were actually all together on set the entire time. Um, whenever I was doing my uh, my stuff, Gaten and Priya were right off camera reading for me, and the same for me and him. We just switched locations, and we went to his hill. And we, I was off camera reading for him. And so we got to sing the song live for every take, too. <laughs> uh, I've been dying to know, and maybe you can't tell me this one, <clears throat> but a lot of people noticed Dustin's OG hat uh, sitting on Susie's bed. Did Susie steal it? Ooh, or did yeah. Dustin give it to her as a symbol of a never-ending love? Aww. Um... <laughs> Susie seems to have a pretty strong moral compass. Uh, so I don't think she would steal it from him. This is just what I think, but I think that he gave it to her out of the never-ending kindness of his heart. Um, but that's just my theory. You know, he never got that deep into the hat. But, you know, they actually, Susie and Dustin have matching friendship bracelets, too. So shout-out to the set design and wardrobe people because, you know, it's all those little things that, I think, make the show so fantastic. A strong moral compass. Dude, she, like, coerced him into doing something, knowing that the world might be destroyed. (laughs) But that's okay. I mean, you and I can have different opinions on what a strong moral compass is. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think she just wanted to hear his voice again. She misses him. (laughs) So we keep mentioning never-ending. Oh, that's right. Next to Steve and Dustin's reunion, I think one of the best scenes all season was where you, Susie, coerced Dustin into singing the Neverending Story theme song. I think what makes that so hilarious <laughs> is that it's juxtaposed with the rest of the gang uh, tuned in and being chased by the proxy mind flare. Uh, did you and Gaten have to yeah. practice singing and sync a lot? No, we didn't actually practice at all. Um, it took the whole day to shoot the scene. So we sang it over and over throughout the hours of filming. And so they had a lot of footage by the end of the day. Um, so we didn't really rehearse it. They wanted it to sound like real kids, not professional or Broadway singers. Uh, so practicing, I think, would have made it a little less realistic. Mm. So I'll be 100% honest, and I blame you for this. I can't count the number of times that dang song has gotten stuck in my head since season three came out. I'll catch myself going turn around all the time. Was that your plan from the start, getting Susie to stick in our brains like that? <laughs> um, I guess I thought the scene would be funny, um, but I didn't really realize. I, I guess I wasn't prepared for the fan reaction. And you know, recently, uh, Gayton and I and uh, some of the other cast members from Stranger Things all went to Rhode Island Comic Con, and. I posted a picture, and Dayton was turned backwards to the camera, and immediately people started commenting, like, turn around, 
And <laughs> so I guess you can't really get away from it, but I'm not complaining. I love this song. <laughs> so I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I just want to touch base on one more thing, and then we'll wrap up with a couple fun ones. <clears throat> so okay. you portrayed a younger version of Idina Menzel's character on the remake of the classic 80s Beaches movie a few years back. Did you see the original performance yeah. of this one, and that guide your performance at all? I saw it, yeah. It's a classic, and I love it. I love it. But uh, the original did and did not guide me. Uh, it did in regards to the topic of friendship and showing the bond between Hillary, uh, played by Grace, Grace Capeless, and I. Uh, but in details that I did, um, young Cece was more of a kid who liked to sing out at the street fair, and she wasn't really a showbiz kid. Great, yeah, I love the new one compared to the. I don't, I don't love it. I love them equally for different reasons. I'm gonna stop myself before I shoot myself in the foot. They're both great for their own reasons. Um, so okay, we'll end with a couple yeah. fun ones. It's late Saturday night. You're done for the whole day. What will we catch, Gabby Pizzolo, mm-hmm. watching on TV? Ooh, Gabby Pizzolo is probably watching Bob's Burgers. So my ringtone is actually the Bob's Burgers theme song, and I always let my phone go a little bit longer just so I can hear it. Oh, yes. I love it. I love that show. (laughs) So this one is probably hard to answer at this point, but if you weren't doing anything with entertainment, acting, etc., do you have any idea what you'd want to be doing in life? Hmm. I was always really interested in psychology, so if I wasn't doing what I do now, I'd probably be somewhere in that field. Oh, good answer. I could definitely see you being a psychologist in the Stranger Things world, taking care of Will, that poor kid. Oh, I know. I feel for him. Oh, poor Will. So any chance I could uh, convince you to drop a line from the Never Ending Theme song on us? Hmm. Only if you sing the part with me, Kevin. <laughs> Will you sing the Dustin part? Uh, sure. <laughs> okay, well, you start. <laughs> Turn around. Look at what you see. That's all you're getting. Oh, okay. Make believe I'm everywhere. Giving in the light, reading on the pages is the answer to a never-ending story. There, great, yay! Thank you, that was fun. I'm totally <laughs> sick right now too, so <laughs> I'm, maybe it's the scratchy voice that made my uh voice do that, but uh we'll blame the sickness on me being uh-huh. a singer for once. Uh final question. Um, Hardest one of the whole interview. Are you ready? Ooh. Yeah, I'm ready, I'm ready. Okay. You're a New Yorker, so this one's pretty important to answer. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Ooh, you're that is hard. Uh, I think there's room for every possibility in my world. Okay, that's a fair enough answer. It's a a half-correct answer. You didn't outright say no. No, yeah. Keep an open mind. (laughs) 
All right. Thank you so much once again for being with us today, Gabby. Any final words of wisdom for the audience? Ooh, uh, watch out for Demogorgons. You know, just say no. Um, thank you so much for having me, though, Kevin. It was really a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for uh, dropping a bar with me. Uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Oh, yeah. Can't right, wait. Have, have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much to Gabriella Pizzolo for that great interview. And our final interview today with the amazing Ed Bagley Jr. Welcome back to Comic Culture. I'm your host, Kevin. Today is a special day here at the World Headquarters of Comic Culture because we are now joined by phone with actor extraordinaire Mr. Ed Begley Jr. Ed has had many notable roles throughout his 50-plus years of being on screen. While we won't venture to list them all, <clears throat> excuse me, some of these standouts from that bunch include Dr. Victor Ehrlich on St. Elsewhere, Stan Sitwell on Arrested Development, Clifford Maine on AMC's Breaking Bad prequel series Better Call Saul, and he can also currently be seen as Rudy Rudolph, sorry, Rudolph Rudy Longfellow on ABC's Bless This Mess. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Ed. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get started, I just think it's worth mentioning that aside from acting, Ed is also a devout environmentalist and is involved with many organizations working toward a better, cleaner, safer earth. We'll talk more on that later, but for now, tell me a bit about your background and what was the path that led to you becoming an actor? Well, my dad was an actor. He was an Academy Award-winning actor, a Tony Award-winning actor, stage and film and television. He did it all, and I just wanted to do what my dad did. I think if he'd been a plumber, I'd be sitting pipe now. I greatly <laughs> yeah. respected him, and, and then when I saw what fun it was to play make-believe and get paid for it, you know, I started to see what he did. Uh, I, I, I definitely wanted to go into this business, but I labored under a misconception for years that it was easy, number one, to do, easy to get into the business, uh, you know, and then I also didn't think I needed training. I thought I had all the charm or wit or whatever I thought I had, which I did not possess much of, I can promise you, but I, I, I didn't get any jobs because I didn't have any training. Once I started training, then I began to work. So, uh, prior to St. Elsewhere, you had a couple recurring roles in some shows, but nothing really stuck for more than a couple episodes. Is it fair to say that St. Elsewhere was your quote-unquote big break? It was definitely my big break. Bruce Paltrow liked me and liked my character, and he changed my life. So, uh, he was a great producer. He did The White Shadow, did St. Elsewhere, he did a lot of wonderful you know, film and television shows. And uh, so I was very lucky to meet Bruce Paltrow and Mark Tinker and John Macius and Josh Brand and John Palsy, Tom Fontana, all those wonderful people that either created or wrote on that great show for six years. So as I mentioned in the introduction, your role on St. Elsewhere was as Dr. Victor Ehrlich, surgical partner and sidekick to William Daniels' character, Dr. Mark Craig. From what I understand, William and you became quite close during that time, and he became somewhat of a mentor to you. He definitely was a mentor. You know, I had seen him in Two for the Road, this wonderful movie, Two for the Road, Stanley Donan movie. I'd seen him in Parallax View. I'd seen him in uh, many different projects, The Graduate, and I was really impressed by his work as an actor. So when I got to actually work with him on a show, I was just... Uh, gobsmacked I was you know I, I thought it was the luckiest day of my life and I was correct 
Yeah, he's definitely such an iconic person. I actually have the honor of speaking with him in a couple of weeks. Do you have any messages that you'd like me to pass along to him? Just tell him thanks for helping me, you know, do the kind of work I was able to do on St. Elsewhere. I couldn't have done it without his, you know, great support and his depth of knowledge. He advised me on what it meant to truly be a professional actor, the prepared, and uh, and I'll forever be grateful for everything that he that he taught me. You got it. I will definitely pass that along. So you'd never know this, but there's actually a line in Batman Forever that a lot of my friends and I ended up quoting a lot here at the radio station. There's a scene where you're being held captive by Jim Carrey's Riddler, and your remark goes something like, I'm reporting you to the FCC. That line has become pretty famous among certain radio entities as a way of poking fun of some of the ridiculous rules. Did you know that that line had become so iconic? I had no idea. I'm very happy to hear that. That makes me very proud. Yeah, it's just every single time someone does something remotely, even if it's just like you put a CD in the wrong spot, I'm reporting you to the FCC. Like, it's just, it's become like this huge inside joke at radio stations. And it's uh, all thanks to that line of of yours in that movie. The writers were very good on that movie, and uh, yeah, what a what a great pleasure, what an honor to work with Jim Carrey and Val Kilmer and everybody in it. It was just a delight to work on, and I still love seeing it when I get to. So while I was prepping for this, I stumbled across an interview with People Magazine that you did from like I think it was early 1984, where I recall an incident where you broke your father's prized Oscar. Thankfully, the Academy was gracious enough to have it repaired. It got me thinking, though, uh, after your father's passing, what became of uh, Mr. Oscar? It's, I'm looking at it right now. Let me just crane my neck. Yes, there it is on uh, in my office in a, a prime location. My dad willed me his Oscar and his Tony Award, and uh, I'm very proud to put those on display. Uh, it's a... Uh, it's a great, great honor that he won it, and I, I share that honor by being his son and having him bequeath it to me. Uh, I, I, I almost, I kind of had to laugh at the story because it was just the way it was. At least the way I read it was kind of a funny thing. But uh, your father, Ed Begley Sr., passed away from a heart attack right around the time your career got started. But I was wondering, did you ever get the opportunity to work with him on a project before that happened? I wish I had. I didn't officially work with him on any project, but since I helped him learn his lines, I ran lines with him on a regular basis. And uh, and in so doing, I later realized he was giving me something of an acting class with that line learning experience. Uh, he, you know, would have a few notes for me that he claimed were, you know, to help him get into his character better by changing the way I was reading the line. And I, of course, did whatever he said, but it was really a uh, de facto acting lesson that he was subtly weaving into the evening. But what a great experience to be able to have that with your father, uh, just to have be on lines with him. Uh, what better experience than that, even with some of the most prestigious acting classes? <clears throat> Excuse me. Before we jump into some of your more recent roles, I did want to ask about Adam's family reunion for a moment. Uh, growing up, that was probably one of my favorite Adams Family escapades that I had seen. In it, you portray Dr. Philip Adams, and that's Adams with one D, not two. That's important to bring up because the plot of the film centers on the Adams with two Ds, getting the wrong invitation to a family reunion. 
What would your thoughts have right. been if you actually ended up uh, being related to the Adams family with two Ds? I'd be scared for my life 24-7. I would be scared, too. They're creepy and spooky, as the song song suggests. And uh, But I loved reading the uh, the comic in The New Yorker for many years before it was even a TV show. And then I loved the TV show with John Aston and, uh, and everybody else in it. Uh, Carolyn Jones, John Aston, and all that. I love that. And then when they started to make the movies with Angelica and Raul Julia, and later with Tim Curry and Daryl Hannah, and I was fortunate enough to be cast in that. I just loved it. But if I had a family reunion with characters like that showing up, yes, I'd be greatly concerned. <laughs> yeah. uh, I actually did not know that it was a comic first, so thank you for uh, filling me in on that. I always just thought it was a TV show first. Yeah, I think it might have come right out on. Oh, that's right. That's right. It was a TV show first with John Aston and Carolyn Jones. Then the movie later. That's right. And I think our Adams Family reunion might have come out straight to DVD. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure if it got a an actual release. That's a, a good question. <laughs> that's actually my next thing. It's actually really a shame because the movie never did get a release on DVD. It only got released on VHS which, unfortunately, I didn't have the foresight to keep because uh, VHS was on their way out, and I thought, oh, I can just pick this up on DVD. So I think the only way you can watch it now is, like, there's a, a pretty cruddy version on YouTube. So uh, whose palms do I need to grease to get a copy of that on DVD? That's a good question. I don't have one myself. There's a few movies like that that I did back in the day that were released on VHS, and they never saw life uh, nobody ever had the rights to or executed those rights to put it on dvd so uh, yeah there's a few movies of mine that i have on vhs only and that's not one of them i don't have a copy in any fashion of uh adam's family reunion so you and i just need to start a campaign together to get adam's family reunion released on dvd uh together and we'll make Definitely. that happen count me in buddy <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make this happen, I promise you. So, on Arrested Development, you portray Bluth family rival Sam Sitwell, who suffers from and tries to hide the very unsuccessfully alopecia. Please excuse me if this is a dumb question, but I've always been curious. Did you actually shave your head and eyebrows for that, or was that all like makeup? A damn fine question, Kevin. I did not shave my hair. I did not shave my head. They did that with a bald cap. They did a pretty good job with that. But I did... When I first started to do the show, I shaved my eyebrows because I went, I'm going to commit to this part. I can't shave my head because I got another job to do in three weeks or something. So I couldn't shave my head, but I did shave my eyebrows, assuming correctly, as it turns out, that they would grow back enough. I've, I'm so blonde and fair. You know, I look kind of like an albino, so the eyebrows blend in anyway. So it wasn't a great sacrifice to shave my eyebrows <laughs> out, shave my eyebrows off, and, and I did that. Uh, I did that for those first, like, five episodes that I did back in the day. And then uh, more recently, uh, I think they just covered them up with some sort of uh, latex application or something. They hid them in that way. No, I'm glad you only had to shave your eyebrows and not your whole head, because like you said, that would take a while to grow back. Yeah. <clears throat> Arrested Development was really one of those first shows that did the revival thing, which has become all the rage in Hollywood these days. 
What was it about that show that you think has stood the test of time? Was it the damn near perfect writing, the hilarious actors, like a little bit of both? It's a little bit of both. It starts with great words, and those are from Mitch Hurwitz and his wonderful writing staff. You know, Mitch is very involved with every page of every script that he does on Arrested or any other show that he does. I did Lady Dynamite, this show with Maria Bamford with him, and it's the same zeal and attention that he puts into that. He's a real genius, Mitch is, in my opinion. And uh, so it starts with the great words, and then you get Jeffrey Camber, and you get, you know, Henry Winkler, and you get Michael Sarah and Jason Bateman. I mean, what a cast you have. It's a, Portia just goes on and on. It's amazing, and I'm I just so honored to be part of it. So on that same note of revivals, is there another show in your back catalog that you'd love to see be revived someday? Um. I'm certainly too old to be in it, but if they did a revival of St. Elsewhere, that would be something I'd watch. I suppose I could be in it as an aging heart surgeon or somewhere, some, you know, living somewhere in the Boston area. I don't know. But, uh, it's a story I'd like to see continue. I wonder what happened after St. Elsewhere. It'd be interesting to see. Even though they kind of they sealed their fate in a way, they made it, it was all a dream in the mind of an autistic child at the end of the snow globe, you know, so... That kind of uh, made it hard to do a, you know, revisit. Mm-hmm. I I personally love to see uh, Six Feet Under make a comeback uh, from the grave. All Me too. Ended. Me too. Uh, and I guess uh, you and William Daniels could do Saint Elsewhere, uh, just be the old uh, codgers yelling at the doctors who aren't doing things correctly. Uh, he did reprise his role as Mister Feeney on Girl Meets World a couple years ago, so. It's definitely a possibility that I would love to see happen. So, once again, any, we'll make that any happen. Let's any day on the set with Bill Daniels is a good day by me. So, <clears throat> not so much of a revival. Revo- I'm going to restart that. Not so much of a revival, but it was nice to see you reprise your role as Clifford Maine on the most recent season of Better Call Saul. Although it wasn't for very happy reasons. What was it like being able to carve out your own little piece of history in Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould's massively crafted world? You know, again, like Mitch Hurwitz, you're, you're working with one of the great writers living amongst us today, Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould. did such a job with that show. It's just amazing. And I was a huge, huge fan of Breaking Bad, of course, and Better Call Saul. I watched with the same zeal. I thought, how can they... How can they do this? I mean, you can't, anything would pale by comparison, but they did this other different, equally wonderful show, Better Call Saul. And here I am, I find myself occasionally on it. I I just, uh, it's an embarrassment of riches whenever I get to work with Vince and Peter and, you know, Bob and everybody and Ray and Patrick Fabian and Michael, just uh, Michael McKean and, and, uh, you know, it's just uh, Jonathan Banks. My God, what a cast. What writing. Just uh, a great, great show. Uh, have you had a chance to see El Camino yet? I loved it. Wonderful, wonderful me, movie. Me too. I can't. I, I spoke with RJ Mitty yesterday who played Walter Jr. And he loved it. Everyone I've seen has loved it. What? How do, how do you take a show that ended six years ago? Make a movie that seems like it was made at the exact same time. It was just, it was perfect. It was the second half of the finale we didn't know we needed. 
I don't know how they do that. I don't know how they do anything that they do on Better Call Saul or what they did on Breaking Bad, and certainly not with this feature-length film. I'm just impressed beyond words. It's really master craftsmanship. So I'm sure you can't answer, but any chance we'll see Clifford crop up at some point again, hopefully under happier circumstances? I can only hope and dream. I have my prayer beads. I'm fiddling with them right now in the hopes to make this happen. So I think this is our third campaign that you and I are signing up to do for today. But uh, we'll still make that happen. We'll get you back on Better Call Saul or I'll quit the podcast. Uh, I think that's a pretty fair uh, fair trade-off. Sounds good, Kevin. <laughs> so I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I just want to touch base on a couple more things, and we'll finish off with a couple fun ones. We talked briefly about this in the beginning. But aside from being an actor, you're also a devout environmentalist. Kind of explain the catalyst that got you to be uh, involved. When did you decide, I need to do something? I became involved in 1970. On the first Earth Day, I started recycling. I started composting. I became a vegetarian. I always rode my bike, but I rode it even more. I always took public transportation. Did it with that. I did it even more. And... uh I even bought a 1970 electric car. So all this stuff that I did was not only good for the environment, but it was very cheap and saved me money. So I stayed with it, low these, uh, quite nearly 50 years now. So what are some of the easiest things that we can be doing individually to help reduce our carbon footprint? Do the 2019 version of what I did back in 1970. What is cheap and easy, things you can afford and things that are easy to do. You know, number one, energy-efficient light bulbs. Number two, energy-saving thermostat. Number three, weather stripping around your doors and windows. Also, turn the thermostat, you know, down in the winter and up in the summer. So, you know, you're still somewhat comfortable, but, you know, it's not like an icebox in the summer and an oven in the winter. Um, ride a bike with weather and fitness permit. Take public transportation if it's available near you. Home gardening, home co- composting. Become a vegetarian if not all the time, just a few days a week, see how you like it. All those things are very easy to do, very inexpensive, and you'll see results right away, not just for the environment, but in your budget. Mm-hmm. So I hate to admit this, but I first learned of your environmentalism from a joke made on Futurama about a demon car whose, quote, engine was the most propulsion, evil propulsion system ever conceived. Uh, and it was Ed Begley Jr.'s uh, propulsion system. Uh, did you actually create your own motor, or was that just a joke based off your work in the field? Just a wonderful joke, a very funny, dark, and excellent joke from, from Matt. Matt is a, a friend and a, a great, great talent as well. Simpsons is great, and Futurama is great, so I was very uh, pleased uh, to hear that he, you know, still thinks of me. They've had me on The Simpsons a few times, playing myself, and to include me in that way in Futurama, I was, I, I really liked it. Was it, was it the Simpsons where there was the episode where your electric car or your solar powered car got stopped on the tracks uh, and there was a train coming, but the train also stopped because it was solar powered as well? Was that, is that That's correct. correct, yeah. I'm in okay. my solar car and then there's a big solar eclipse and so my car goes, Pew! runs out of juice and stops right on the tracks. The train's coming, the train's coming, and then from here, the train likewise comes to stop because it's a solar-powered train. Mm-hmm. Pretty funny. I have to go back and rewatch the Simpsons. It's all on Disney Plus now, but that's like oh, 30 seasons. 
it would take me a while, but I'm going to have to go back and watch that episode in particular because that was just so funny to me. All right, uh, so we'll finish up with a couple of fun ones. It's late Saturday night. You're done for the entire day. What will we catch Ed Begley Jr. watching on TV? Well, if it's Saturday night, specifically, I'll watch Saturday Night Live. I love that show. Friday nights, I watch Bill Maher. Saturday nights, it's Saturday Night Live. You know, I have my shows that I love, and uh, I love Handmaid's Tale on Wednesday nights. And, you know, uh, Tuesday nights, I love Bless This Mess. So I watch some television. Some, there's some very good television out there. Better Call Saul, of course, I'm addicted to. I love that show. So each day of the week, there's some fine show that I watch, and uh, I, I really enjoy the, the quality of the work being done today. There's some great, great work being done. New golden age of television, as they say. Yeah. So you've been arrested and you have to stand trial for something heinous. Like you sold the Declaration of Independence. Would you rather have Clifford Maine or Saul Goodman represent you? Saul Goodman. He's a pit bull. Okay. Fair enough. You're actually uh, the first person who didn't pick the other lawyer. You're the only one who's picked Saul so far. So that's an interesting one. Um, yeah. It, if you hadn't have gone into the entertainment industry, what do you think you would have seen yourself doing in life? You made mention earlier that if your dad was a plumber, you would have probably become a plumber. But uh, given on your own accord, what would you see yourself be doing if not an actor? I have some carpentry skills, so I'd probably be a carpenter. I made something of a living doing it in the late 70s and early 80s when the acting had slowed down a bit and I had a young family to support, so I'd be a carpenter. Okay, that's really awesome. Uh, I've never, I, I always just get splinters. I'm good with uh, with cutting things in half, but if I have to like carve it or anything, I'll get splinters all over my hands. So, better you than me. So, uh, final careful. question. Uh, last, hardest one of the whole interview. Are you ready? Ready. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes. I like pineapple on pizza. Okay, fair vegan enough. Pizza. Vegan pizza. There's a really good uh, vegan pizza place. We live in Ashland, Oregon, so we're all about whole food, vegan food. There's a really good vegan pizza place uh, down the street from here. And now I'm kind of getting hungry, so I might have to go grab some now based off this conversation. But uh, thanks again go for being here with us, Lucy. man. Thank uh, you, Kevin. Is- Keep up the good work, buddy. Yeah. Any final words of wisdom for the audience? Live simply so others can simply live. Thank you so much to RJ Mitty, Gabriella Pizzolo, and Ed Begley Jr. for three great, great interviews. And thank you to our wonderful listeners for giving us a listen this week. Have a great week, and stay swifty out there, fellow nerds.